Let's pray, shall we? Father God, as we turn to your word now, we ask that it would be clearly spoken this morning, that our hearts would be receptive, our minds and our hearts, and we would hear from you. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Help me to speak well, well, help me to speak faithfully and help me to speak your word, Lord, and help each one of us to receive again from you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Interesting. Your translation's different to mine, Rona. I'll talk about that a bit a bit later. Interesting difference between our two translations. Even though they're NIV, they must be different years. Mine must be a newer one, I assume. Who knows? <laughs> Read nothing into that. You're not old, Rona. It's just. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so we're in Psalm 3 this morning. We're going to have a look at it together. If you've got Bibles, um, do get them out because we are going to go through it reasonably um, uh, in order. But I want to start by asking... Oh, the font's changed again. Oh, well. Um, Have you ever said the phrase, have you ever found yourself in frustration saying the phrase, well, that's easy for you to say? You know that one? Yeah, so that's easy for you to say, isn't it? You're not the one doing it. You're not the one having to do this thing, whatever it is. There are so many things, I think, in life that look so much easier when you're not doing them than when you have to do them. You know, we all sit and watch the bake-off, or Strictly Come Dancing, you think, oh, come on, come on, I could Charleston, and then you just hit, no, no, I'm not going to Charleston in any way, um, I could make a macaron or a scone better than that, and really, no, I can't. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, yeah. I really tried to find it the other way round, because I think it's the men that are much worse backseat drivers than the women. I want to be honest about that. Steady on, darling, steady on. Wait, careful, especially parking. Just, just which, have you ever tried parking with someone telling you what to do? It's horrendous. You do it if it's so easy. We uh, did a circus game at this year's um, uh, party in the park over there, and a few of us went... Um, just to be present as the church in the party in the park, and it was really good. But all you had to do was hammer a nail into a log. That was it, right? So easy. And of course, all these sort of lads would come over and have a little, oh, what's this hammer? You know, I'm hard, I'll, I'll use a hammer. And they come down, yeah, go on then. And then their first mate has a go, and he hits it. And inevitably, after about two hits, the nail goes, eh? And you just can't do anything after that. It's impossible. And they're all cheering. You're terrible. Until they get a go and they hit the nail and it goes, and then, oh, it's not so easy after all. I'll tell you one more of these. Slightly embarrassed about this one. My son has a BMX. (laughs) And I clearly am the expert on BMXs. Do you know how many BMXs I've ever ridden before my son's? None whatsoever. But he's there. We bought him this tiny little plastic ramp. 
And it's about that high off the ground and it's about that big. You can imagine it. So you go up, wee, and over it. And I'm trying to teach him to jump over this plastic ramp in the garden. Clearly, this is easy. Go on, just go for it. You know, a bit slow at first and then speed up. And he just looks at me as if to say, no, you do it if it's so easy. So, of course, I do, being me. And I'm on, I'm on this bike like this. And it's not, it's not going well already, I'll be honest. I'm barely getting it forward. And I go up. I'm like, look, all you have to do, and I'm still telling him exactly how to do it. You just go up, you know, nice and gently at first. What happens? I go up the ramp, really just about get enough power to get over it. The front wheel goes dump onto the ground. I go flip over, straight over onto my back immediately. And he thinks it's hilarious. And everyone at the other end of the garden sort of starts a polite round of applause. Um, it wasn't actually as easy as it looked. I did do it about the fifth time um, of trying. But, uh, friends, there are things in life that are much easier in principle than they are when you have to put them into practice. And I want to suggest that trusting God sometimes can be one of those. It's easy to say and to feel that we have a deep peace and a trust in God when all is going well. When things are ticking on nicely, when you've just been perhaps to a Christian conference or you've seen God move in an amazing way in someone's life. But I don't think it's so easy always to have that peace when things and that trust when things are difficult. Perhaps you're in hospital or you're very poorly. Perhaps you're under immense stress or pressure or something is coming up in your life that genuinely frightens you and you feel that anxiety about it or perhaps it's happening in the lives of loved ones perhaps even and I don't say this lightly when we get to the stage where we realise our life is short now maybe we have been told that perhaps we hear someone say hey well trust in God and we think well that's easy for you to say you're not in this position You see, fear and worry, okay, and concern is real. We all feel it. Let's be honest with each other. We all feel that from time to time. And that's because difficulties are real. But I want to say this morning that so too is Christian trust. So too is the trust that a Christian can know and have in these situations. It's something which has been demonstrated throughout the centuries by our predecessors, our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. It's something that Jesus wants us to have and know. Jesus turns around and says, you believe or trust in God the Father. Believe and trust also in me. So many times, do not be afraid. Have faith. Believe and trust me when things are good. Believe and trust me even more so when things are really tough. Because these are the times when trust matters. It's a bit like being brave. You can't know bravery unless you've known fear first. Somebody who doesn't fear or isn't afraid isn't brave. They just don't feel afraid. Do you get what I'm saying? They're just not afraid. They're not wired to be afraid in that situation. There are things that don't scare me that scares others. I'm not being brave when I do them. I'm just not scared. Bravery... It's when you don't let the fear that you feel stop you and overwhelm you and you do it anyway and you go for it and you step out. And that, that's when the rubber hits the road. And it's like that with trust. It's easy to say, oh, well, I trust when I don't really need to trust. It's at those times when you need to trust that trust is most important. 
is that the times of difficulties and panics and fears and crises in the mystery of life, that's when the rubber hits the road. Trust is most important when it's most difficult. But it's something I believe we can all do. I want us to look together then briefly at this psalm, Psalm 3. We've been looking together at David's life. Um, King David, we've been going through uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. We've got to King David. and This is one of those crises moments for him. I'm not going to give away the story where we're going too much. But suffice to say that David wrote Psalm 3 in a time of genuine crisis and fear for his life. Absalom, if you remember last week, Ray really helpfully unpacked it for us. Quite a a difficult passage. But one of the things was Absalom killed his brother. And this same Absalom, who is David's son, is popular, he is good-looking, he is well-loved by the people, he has gained huge amounts of support, and now he's turned his eyes on David. He wants to kill his father. And David hears about this, I'm not going to give too much away, we're going to hear about Absalom's plotting and scheming tonight, June's going to preach, which I'm looking forward to. But David hears about this, and to cut the story short, he flees from Jerusalem, out into the surrounding countryside, he crosses the River Jordan into the hilllands, the mountainous region, to get safety. He is terrified. He leaves with his uh, loyal men with him, those who go with him, his army around him, but it's not enough. He still flees from Jerusalem, knowing that the people have turned towards Absalom, and Absalom is coming to kill him. This is a huge crisis point in David's life. These are not fictional people. This happened. This is a man like you and I, ordinary human being, and he is terrified for his life. And as we turn to Psalm 3, the superscription tells us that's what this psalm is about. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Superscriptions were added later, there's no doubt about that, but we're not sure how much later. And certainly, there's no reason why we can't trust that they are uh, accurate to who wrote these and what the situation was. This psalm then, Psalm 3, tells us a lot about the battle that's going on, this big external battle that David now finds himself in, his armies versus Absalom's armies. But I want to say something else. I want to suggest that it tells us more about the internal battle that's going on in his heart. You see, there is a battle without, and there is the battle within, in any crisis point. David begins by declaring out loud to God the gravity of this external battle that's going on. Verse 1, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? You see, God's blessing is not received by any of us or experienced by any of us in a predictable and sterile and easy world. Not even his chosen king, his beloved David. Life was chaotic and difficult at times for him and frightening So many of the people that David knew and loved, his people, he was a popular king once. People that had rejoiced with him and celebrated with him now had turned against him. And not only that, but the number of them was increasing. Literally, that first uh, verse can be translated, look how my foes are increasing. That sense of fear in crisis where things seem to be getting worse. All of us can recognise that. 
The battle outside begins to now affect his inside, his heart and his faith and his trust. It's rising up around him without and it's rising up within. And we hear that David's foes now are deliberately trying to press in on that internal battle. There is a voice now that comes, a mocking voice, a big mocking lie that is trying to unsettle David deep within. Many are saying of me, he says, God will not deliver him. Do you hear it? God will not deliver you. It's a verbal attack as powerful, a spiritual attack as powerful as any physical. It's aimed at unsettling him and causing him to doubt. That, many are saying of me, is better translated as my soul. Many are saying to my soul. He's saying that this has got under my skin, this has got within now, and I'm starting to be afraid. I'm starting to doubt. I'm starting to question. I'm starting to worry. This is a battle about his heart and his trust in his God. God will not save you. The mocking, antagonistic voice in this psalm. This lays out right from the beginning. This is what's true, the voice would say. The voice of others, or maybe even the voice within. God will not save you. Why do you think there's a God who cares one jot about what you're going through? Then we've got the word selah. Haven't necessarily got it in your NIVs. We don't know what it means. Uh, yes, you've got it in the footnotes. Um, it turns up here, and it kind of separates off these first two verses. It could be a musical term. Um, we don't have a clue. I quite like the idea that it's a time to stop and ponder and think, and potentially read or reflect on passages that are related to this psalm. If that's true, then we would reflect on these two Samuel chapters that we've been going through at this time. And if we did that, we might reflect on 2 Samuel 17. Don't turn to it. I'm not going to spoil it forever. I'm going to preach on it. But there is literally this guy who runs along with David as he's fleeing on the other side of like the, the ridge, mocking him, saying, you're a murderer. God hates you. It's not going to work. God doesn't love you. He doesn't quite say those words, but it's not far off. And he starts throwing stones and dirt at him and his men. And the men are going, well, should we just get rid of David? He's like, no, just leave him. And when they get to where they're going, David and his men are exhausted, the Bible says. This internal battle, don't doubt for a moment, can have a physical effect on us. It's real. Think about the so-called war of words that happen in politics or propaganda. Think about how people have harnessed words to crush the spirit of people, to change their minds, to confuse them about what's true and what's not true, about what's good and what's bad. What they thought they knew, they no longer know. And it's the power of words. It's this eternal battle. It's a battle, if you like, of worldview, if you understand that phrase. How we view the world, what we believe it's all about, and who we believe it's all about. If you're in a time of crisis, if I'm in a time of crisis... Sometimes our deepest beliefs are most tested, aren't they? Who is this God I believe in? Does he really care? Does he really hear? Can I really trust him? Who hasn't faced these moments when we think perhaps the mocking voice, whether it's within me or without, in society or rising up within, perhaps it's right. Perhaps it's all a lie. Friends, this is the internal battle. But will we trust God in those times. Will we trust God then? This moment of crisis, David knew, I want to suggest something really 
intriguing. I think he knew that the internal battle was more important than the external battle. That's saying something, because you say, well, it was the external battle that caused the internal. No, he knows this needs addressing inside. And so we're going to reflect just on three things, or three aspects of how he managed to maintain his faith and his trust in God through it all. And the first one's very, very simple. The first thing he did was he looked up. He knew action needed to be taken in the battle around him, but the first thing he did was look up before rushing in to do anything. Many are saying of you, God, this, that you're like this, or you don't exist, or you're a lie, or I can't trust you. But, it says, verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. He stops looking around at his enemies, at the situation. He stops looking at himself as if he is going to sort this. He stops looking down, and he looks up. To God, and he declares the truth of who God is. Lord, you are my shield. Enemies may surround me, but you have promised that you surround me, and you are stronger than any enemy. Lord, you are my glory. It's an interesting word, this. It's the one in whom my dignity, my self worth is found. If people mock me and ridicule me like they were to David, if they ruin my name, you are my witness, Lord. You declare that. Well, I'm loved and I'm significant. You are the one who lifts my head up high. To have your head bowed low, and we thought about this a few months back, we talked about mobile phones, do you remember? But to have your head bowed low is this display or symbol of of being trapped, of, of, of having lost your dignity, of being enslaved, of being ashamed or in fear. But do you notice as David lifts his eyes up to the Lord, so too his head physically lifts. And metaphorically, that is spiritually what happens. The Lord lifts his head up in dignity and in freedom. David realises that I'm not, as we sing, a slave to fear. Actually, I'm a child of God. I'm loved. I'm loved, I'm known, I'm not alone in this. And his head is lifted up again. As he lifts his eyes to the Lord, he declares that the the Lord God knows his situation. I call out to the Lord, to Yahweh, as it was his name given. I call out to Yahweh and he answers me from his holy mountain. You see, David knows he's far from Jerusalem. Think about it. His throne is literally, his bum is not on his throne. David has a throne, and his bum is not on it. He is far from his throne. But he knows that the Lord is never far from his throne. That the Lord is sat on his throne. Despite what is happening around, the Lord is on his throne. He cannot be shaken. He cannot be defeated. And he hears your and my cry. David declares in a psalm that I think has a lot of resonances with this psalm. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him, verse 1 of that psalm, 62. Remembering and declaring these truths are the beginning of silencing the doubt, of winning the inner battle, keeping our trust in God. We have another Selah here. 
um, which breaks these two verses that we just looked at. And maybe if we were reflecting what happens later on as David is still far away from Jerusalem, as people come out and show him um, love and kindness, they give him gifts in his crisis. And he sees this, and I, I think he would have seen this as provision from the Lord, like manna in the desert. And when we're going through crisis, we need to keep our eyes open for the small things, for the people, the encouragements, the unexpected words that just say, the Lord is with you. But also the Lord is up to things that David doesn't know, and we'll hear about this in the coming weeks. He's confusing Absalom's advisors and and spoiling things in Jerusalem for Absalom. And we need to trust that the Lord is at work in ways we don't understand and we don't see as well. So it's time for action. He's looked up. It's time now to step out and do something. Do you know what he does? I love this. He lies down. He knows the battle is raging, but he lies down. I, which literally translates as me, as for me and my part, is an emphatic I. Me, what I'm going to do, my part in all this is I lie down and I will sleep and I will wake again because the Lord sustains me. He lies down. All the eyes are on the head of the army, on David. Can you imagine this? What's he going to do? He starts laying out his little blanket, pops a little cushion down. What are you going to do, sir? I'm just going to have a little snooze, actually, gentlemen. I'm going to have a little snooze. How can you sleep at a time like this? What on earth is he up to? Well, firstly, he's declaring something really clear to all the people. The people had, (laughs) we've gone through this, had a tendency to trust anything other than God. And we all like to do that, if we're honest. Uh, We might pretend we don't, but we have a tendency to do it. And David, as the king and the chosen king, all the trust of the people may well have been on his shoulders. And by lying down, he's just saying something really clear to all of them. Do you get it? He's just saying, it's not me. Don't you put your trust in me. You need to put your trust in him. In God, But he's doing something else which I think is even more significant. He's, he's speaking to his heart. And he's trying to allow himself to not just have head knowledge of what he believes God's like, but to actually let it sink in deep, like we were praying about earlier. It's not that the, the war around him has got any better. In fact, no, it's got worse. We read... Um, We read that, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. David decides that that's what he's going to believe in his head, but he now wants that to move to his heart. He knew that head knowledge isn't enough, and I think we can be tempted in crises to slip too quickly from our head knowledge. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know God's good. He's going to help me. trust him. He's really good. Now, what the heck do I do? I'm terrified. What do I do? And we've, we've missed a bit here. We can all rally off. Oh, yeah, 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 God this, God that. Hang on a minute. Do you believe it? Does your heart and soul believe what you've just said? Because unless it does, the lies can far too quickly drown out again what God wants to do in our hearts and in our souls. David doesn't let himself get away with this. He knows the truth. Now he chooses to believe it. He wants his soul to understand it. His heart to understand it. It's an ancient practice, you know, and I won't go long on this bit, but helping our heads, beliefs, to be truly believed by our soul. Do you know that? 
It's this weird thing in the Psalms you'll get it where literally David and others speak to their soul. Come on, my soul. Come on, my soul. (laughs) My head's got this. You haven't got it yet, have you? Do you recognise that feeling? I kind of know what God's like, but I don't know what God's like in this situation. My soul hasn't got it yet. And you know, in that psalm that I pointed out earlier, he says exactly the same words nearly four uh, verses later. But can you hear the difference this time? Instead of a declarative statement, he says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. He's speaking to his soul in prayer and also just speaking to himself. May this go from my head to my heart. May it go in deep. And I want to suggest we do it in times of worship, when we sing our hymns, when we sing How Great Is Our God together this morning. You can say, yeah, God is great here. But what happens when we really get it? No, God is actually great. And he's my God. And he loves me. Something different happens at that stage. It changes. When we say thank you for the cross, Lord, do we just go, yeah, thanks for the cross? Something very different when we really begin to realise in our hearts what that meant for God and what that means for me. And we start to feel the gratitude of what he's done. Don't panic if you find this bit hard. Some of you might be sat there this morning going, oh man, this is the bit I struggle with. It's something I think that takes time and it's something that we need to work on Perhaps we know in our heads, oh, God's supposed to give me peace, but I don't feel it. Well, if that's how you feel, don't start feeling guilty. Be kind to yourself. God loves you. And what you know in your head is true. He wants you to know his peace. Don't doubt the truth. Instead, help your heart to truly believe it. In worship, as Gary prayed, become attentive to the Spirit's voice as you sing, as you pray, as you read the Bible. Expectantly, this isn't just going to be words in my head, but it's going to speak to my heart. Pray prayers of thanksgiving in the chaos amidst the crisis. And you might say, that just sounds like denial and stupidity. Anyone seen Carry On Up the Khyber? Do you know the scene I'm thinking of? There's a scene where they're all sat in a house that's being bombed and it's falling apart and there's a war going on all around and they're all sat around at this posh table for officers all sort of eating their dinner. Oh, would you pass me the salt? <laughs> oh, yes, darling. Yeah, well. And they're still trying to eat their dinner. It's almost like total denial. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm not talking about stopping medication because suddenly you just think that's a good thing to do. We've got to be wise on this. But I am saying start to thank the Lord even if you're in a time of crisis. Start thanking him for his goodness and his love and his kindness, the fact he's never left you and he won't ever, the fact he's gone to that cross for you, the fact that you are loved, you are a child of his. Something changes, your heart begins to catch up with the truth that you can trust the one who is truly trustworthy. He hasn't changed. Thank him. Get into the practice of that when we're going through crises. You're not going mad if you speak to your soul. Be still, my soul. You know that old hymn? The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. It takes time, but don't rush past the lying down stage. And the final thing David does is he lets God 
arise. He knows now, or rather he's begun to win this internal battle. I can't tell you if he'd decisively, totally got over all his fears, but he has spent the time realising again who God is and putting his trust in him. So now he knows that he must take action. So he begins by this prayer, Arise, Lord! Verse 7, Deliver me, my God. Deliver me, my God. Do the very thing that the mockers say you're never going to do. Do that thing that they say you're not. Be that God that they say you could never be. But this didn't mean that David himself was going to do nothing, okay? (laughs) It didn't mean, all right, God, you go do it for me. I'm going to sit here. Sometimes we do need to wait, and God's going to do something without us. I believe that. But I don't think that was here. And I don't think we should always think that we never have to do anything. Oh, well, God, you go and sort this out. And we just sit there and go, well, I didn't know what to do. No, because arise, Lord, was the, was the chant that the Israelites used right back in Exodus, we see, when they took the ark with them into battle. They were going to move forward, but they were going to move forward knowing that God was with them. Like Moses said, unless you go with us, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here, Moses said. And David knew He needed God to go with him, whatever he did next about this crisis. And he goes on to ask God, did you spot it? Strike all my enemies on the jaw or break the teeth of the wicked. That's one of those sentences. And did you notice, yours rendered, you are the one who has struck my enemies on the jaw and you have um, broken the uh, teeth of the wicked. Um, Actually, it may be right. It doesn't change what's going on here. You may think this is violent. Matt, this is one of the ones that we Christians should not look at. Striking people on the jaws is inappropriate. Smashing teeth is nasty. Please don't do that. Um, We can't say that prayer. I think there's more going on here. There was a physical battle going on, and the Old Testament is full of honest, brutal, and horrible violence, often. But I think there's a metaphor going on here, and I'm close to finishing. It's a metaphor that says if you strike someone on the cheek, they lose their dignity. Or rather... their pride is brought lower. And if you strike someone in the mouth, you are basically disabling their ability to use their tongue and to speak the lies. What he's saying here is, Lord, would you not let the mocking voice have the last laugh? Would you not let that lie from the beginning that God does not save, would you not let that have the final victory? Will you cut off Whatever it is, the ideologies, and there are some evil ideologies in our world today as we look around, Lord, would you move against the lies that are being spread, that are hurting me and are hurting your world? Lord, would you have the last word, not those lies mocking you, mocking us, mocking this beautiful world and hurting people. You see, as Christians, we're not called to inaction. It's not case sarah, sarah, whatever. You know, let the Lord do everything, I'll do nothing. No, there's truth that sometimes we let him move without us. He's sovereign. He does what he likes. But he has called us to action, all of us. He's called us to be part of his kingdom. Called us to co-labor with him. But when we take action, we take action that reflects his justice and his goodness and his love and his peace. We do not just go fighting, thinking, well, God's on my side, I can do whatever I like. We look for his heart in any situation and we step out boldly. So we do take action, even in crises around us. We can take action, but this is key this morning. It's action taken from a place of trust rather than a place of fear. And those two things are hugely different.
those two things are hugely different. Acting out of fear and worry and concern and fretting, or being frozen because of the fear we feel. I can't do anything, I don't know what to do. The Lord calls each one of us, no, you can take action in this world to bring my blessing, to see my change, to see people transformed and loved and blessed, to see situations around you transformed. But it comes from a place of first realising we need to trust that God is good and we don't doubt his goodness. I want to say, we're going to sing, but I just want to add one note to the end of this. And that is, David wouldn't have known how the battle was going to go. But that wouldn't change his trust in his God. It didn't change who God was. It didn't change that God is love, that God is with him, that God loved him. David didn't know if his life was going to be spared or not. We read that in the texts. But that wouldn't have changed his trust in the Lord and who the Lord is. And sometimes there's mystery in our faith. Often there's mystery in our faith, isn't there? And I think sometimes we can say, Lord, I'll trust you as long as this goes favourably for me. Or this goes my way. Or if you stop this thing, or if you heal this person, then I'll put my trust in you. Like we're holding God to ransom. No, we start by saying, Lord, I trust you. And I do, and I know your goodness, and I know your love. And I'm going to trust you in this no matter what. But Lord, would you move now? Lord, I believe. Would you break down the lies? Would you come in your power and your love? But no matter what, Lord, I will trust you. I will trust you. Because you've not changed. You are trustworthy, you are good, you are wonderful. There are humbling testimonies that sometimes I get told. And I was told one recently of people who knew their life was now short unexpectedly. They knew they were going to die. And they managed to hold trust in God to the end. They knew his goodness. They were leaving behind family, perhaps. Children. But they knew God was good. They knew he loved them. They knew he loved their family. And when I hear that, I am so moved. Trust right to the end, no matter what. For he is trustworthy. And as we move forward with him, we can shout, David's cry of victory. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Friends, look up. Look to Jesus. The one who has, as that translation said, already smashed the jaw and the lie of the enemy. The power of the one who wants to hurt and deceive and destroy. Lie down. Believe and trust that your soul and heart truly understand this is more than just head knowledge. Know the one who you trust. And let God arise and step out with him in faith and trust and love. Let's just stop and pray together. I can ask the band to come up. Is that okay? Father, I'm aware that there will be people this morning filled with anxiety and fear, worried about something, resonating with what David went through, however different it may seem. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you would take away any guilt or worry or sense that they must feel differently and now move by your Holy Spirit, please, Lord, to allow each one of us, and especially those who know crises now, to step deeper into trusting you. Lord, we want to step deeper into trusting you. This morning, would you move things from our heads to our hearts and our souls? Would you let us really know you again and know that we can trust you no matter what? And Lord, I pray, come and deliver us from the things that surround us and the fears that would hold us. Let us be people who are free to live and love and to act with you in justice and strength and goodness. Come Holy Spirit.